0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Pick back up in Acts chapter 11, and we will be finishing Acts 11 today. And then everything falls apart in Acts chapter 12. So we're going to end on a high note today before we we get going. All right, Acts chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to that. We're going to start, we're going to go through verses 19 through 30 today, Um, 19 through 30 in Acts chapter 11. Um, But we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we will get started. Father God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that as we dive into this, you open our eyes to see Give us understanding. Give us, Father God, the wisdom to to make everything that's going on in in this passage to be uh, applicable to our lives. Let us not just know a history lesson or just a tidbit of knowledge, but let us take something that you're going to download and awaken inside of us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 11. We need to back up for just a quick second. Uh, Just like you would do a TV show that has happened previous. If you're on episode 7 or 8, they would tell you something that happened in 1 to remind you. Uh, We're in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 11 was not 11 days. Okay, we're talking roughly about 17 years. In fact, it was roughly 15 years, I think, from Acts chapter 9 to Acts chapter 11. It's a huge gap, lots of things. I think sometimes when we read the book of Acts, we go, wow, we are just inadequate because they did all of this in a month, and that's just not the case, okay? You got to realize that in these two chapters, we're talking about a decade and a half between Acts chapter 9 to Acts chapter 11, which tells me this. There was a huge gap of time between when Peter had his vision and when they they actually implement it. Isn't that funny how often God gives us a word and we don't act on it right away? Am I the only person that does that? God gives us a word and you're like, yes, that's a great. That's going to happen one day, God. And he's like, that's supposed to be today, but that's not what we do. What we do a lot of times is we sit on it and go, well, we'll we'll ask for another sign and another sign and another sign. And then we get busy and then we come back to it and then it gets reawakened. And so hopefully today in this passage of what we're going to be walking through Maybe God gave you a word of something that you were supposed to be doing and one of the biggest things that we are all supposed to be doing, all of us, is going into all of the world and preaching the gospel. Every single one of us have a call and a mandate. We call it the great commission. You are called, you are not just suggested, you are commanded to speak the word of God to everybody, everybody. Now, some of you guys may never go to Haiti. You may never go to Zimbabwe. You may never find yourself in Russia. You may never find yourself in France, but you will find yourself in Millbrook and you will find yourself in Prattville and you will find yourself in Montgomery. You'll find yourself wherever you are and the field is ripe for harvest. Don't delay. Don't delay today. In verse 19, it says this, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen. That was a long time ago. Stephen was stoned to death. He was martyred in front of them all. And we're talking about a huge gap of time here. That they traveled as far as Phoenicia, to Cyprus, to Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So at this moment... Only one group of people had the privilege of hearing the news about Jesus. Everybody else was left on the outside looking in. They could hear of this Savior. They could hear about the one. They could hear about the way. They could hear about the Messiah that the Jews have been talking about for millennia. And guess what? You're not invited. You can't do it. The thing we've been talking about our whole lives, the things that our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers and our great-great-grandfathers have been talking about, it's here, but you're not invited. Sorry. It's just to this group of people. Jesus is for a very specific group of people. Our Jesus is for people who wear suits and ties. Our Jesus is for people who are middle or upper class. Our Jesus is for those who don't do drugs. Our Jesus is for those who don't do alcohol. Our Jesus is for those who don't smell. Our Jesus is for those who drive specific cars, who who listen to specific music, who have specific haircuts, who have specific jobs, who don't have specific pasts. That's our Jesus. Come get him. If you meet this criteria, you too can have Jesus. That was the Jewish faith at this time. This was the church at this time. If you were a Jew, if you went through the circumcision of the law, if you lived by the law and did everything that it told you to do, then and only then were you able to receive Jesus. And it's funny because today we do the same thing. We do the exact same thing. We will say Jesus is for everybody, but that person's the exception. Jesus loves all people, but not that person. That person is disqualified. Yesterday, my wife and I were watching a, a, a football game. Her kids go to a school called Lafayette Christian in Lafayette, Louisiana, and they were playing for state championship and were watching their star running back who is just marching down the field. Really? Whenever he feels like it. But you know what he did? He lost his cool. Anybody ever played sports and you lost your cool? You were great. Everything was wonderful. And then something, you just snap and you do something. Well, this poor kid unfortunately decides to punch another kid. And what has happened? You're immediately disqualified. State championship game, third quarter, they're tied and he gets DQ'd. He's walking off the field realizing what he just did. Can I tell you, I'm watching this guy, you know, and you could tell he's heartbroken. He, he feels shame. He feels like he let his team down. He did all the things wrong, and, and now he has to leave. And watch the rest of his family, the rest of his friends that he's worked hard for keep fighting as he sits in the locker room and waits. Can I say, we do the same thing to people. The exact same thing to people. You can serve God. Come to our church. Be a part of our lives. Be part of our our organization. And then all of a sudden, they snap and do something bad. Hands off. You are now disqualified. Maybe you can earn your way back in next season. Jump all through the hoops again. But this is the sad part of life, is that the Jews were doing the exact same thing that we are doing now. And now we know better. That's the problem. We know better. We know better. We know that the heart of Jesus is not just for the one percenters. The heart of Jesus is not just for the elites. The heart for Jesus is not just for a specific ethnic group. Can I tell you, Jesus loves all people of all color, of all ages, of all, uh, 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 of all types of classes and uh, all types of backgrounds. He loves all People. Yes, even that lady at the cubicle next to you. He loves her. Maybe he favors you more, but he does love her. We cannot. Okay. The Bible tells us that God sits on a judgment throne and he judges what is right and what is wrong. And a lot of times I go, hey, take five. I got you. You do a lot, God. I can handle this one. (laughs) You're disqualified, and you're disqualified, and you're disqualified, and you'll make it through, but you're okay sometimes. We'll watch you, and we're sitting there acting like we are the Holy Spirit. Can I say the Holy Spirit reigns in us, but we are not him. He still has a very specific role, and that is not your job. Can I tell you this? With all love and respect, stay in your lane. Your lane is to proclaim the gospel. His lane is to draw people to the cross. Your lane is to love people and to tell them the truth of the good news of Jesus. His lane is to determine the hearts and intentions of men. That's his job. You do your job. And so they're sitting there and they're, and they're preaching to the Jews only. But some of them, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who they had come to Antioch, began to speak to the Hellenists. These are Greeks. They began to preach the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The first Christians were scattered over the Roman Empire were selected by being Jews only. Jesus Christ was not preached to the Gentiles. They were on the outside looking in. But there are these unnamed disciples that had this moment where I'm sure they heard what happened with Peter and they took what he did in Acts chapter 10 and realized that it was for today and and not just for just for that one uh, Roman official, but for all Gentiles. And they began to, to preach, and they began to minister, and they began to do a mission to the Gentiles, to those who are not Jewish, that those would be you and, and, and you, me. And there in Antioch, we have the very first example of Christians deliberately and on, it is on purpose preaching the gospel. Up until that point, it was divine. God gave Peter a vision, he gave Cornelius a vision, and it was a, a divine interaction. This time, they're saying what God has done, let us partake by choice. Peter was caught in a trance. He had no point, he had no 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 no, no point of reference to make that happen. These men took the, the revelation and they began to put action. Can I tell you, if you're sitting on the sidelines going, God, you can use me. Just pick me up and carry me somewhere, and, and I'll preach the gospel if you just pick me up and throw me in another nation. And, and I wake up one day in the middle of, a, 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 of Moscow, and I'm preaching the gospel. Great, I'll do that. God, give me a vision. Give me a dream. And God's going, you don't need a vision. You don't need a dream. I've given you permission in advance. Just go and do if you're waiting for an angelic visitation, you're not, going to, you're, going to, you're not going to get it. If you're waiting to do what God's told you to do until something miraculous happens, it's probably not going to do it. It's a choice and a decision that you get to partake in. And I love this when They had uh, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. <clears throat> Antioch was founded about 300 BC by Seleucius I. He he brought it in. He inherited the whole thing when Alexander had passed away and they broke up his kingdom. And what he would do is he would like to name cities after his father, Antioch. And he did this 15 different times. It was actually called the Syrian of Antioch or Antioch of uh, Orontes. It was the first century, third largest city in the Roman Empire. A half a million people lived there. So, perspective, the city limits of Birmingham, Alabama, is about 160,000. All of Jefferson County is right under 600,000. Picture all of Jefferson County, it was Birmingham, the whole county, shoved into a very, very small city. That's how many people were there. Unfortunately, since all that, the city has imploded and everything has fallen apart. And in the past few years, there's about 3,500 people that live there now. Talk about going from glory to rags. Half a million to 3,500. In other words, your success is not always guaranteed for the rest of your life. You have to follow Christ. Just because your current job is there doesn't mean it's always going to be there, but the peace of God will be with you in all season and in all circumstances. This is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, about 20 miles uh, east of the Mediterranean, and it was the third largest city. This is a big city. It's a big, important city. It's a a huge area. But here's the problem. The city had a reputation. Don't you love the reputation that Alabama gets from the rest of the nation? Not just that we destroy everybody in football, but the idea that we are backwoods, hillbillies, that we, that we marry our cousins, and maybe you have, but it's one of those things that we all say roll tight. Oh, we do. Uh, it's one of those things that we, 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 we have a very specific picture. In 2001, I know it was a long time ago, I moved to Southwest Florida to go to college. I was an intern at a Bible school, and when, they, when some of the other people found out that I was from Alabama, I had legitimate questions if I ride horse and buggy. I'm like, we have cars. But yes, I have horses. So, yeah, it was, that, it was that same, it was that thing. And Antioch has a reputation. Don't you love how certain cities have reputations? I have fallen in love with the city of Atlanta I think it's beautiful. There's a lot of cool things to do here. But the longest time I had this idea that you gonna get shot. It's not all that bad. There are areas you stay away from. But there's areas of Montgomery you stay away from. You know, we, we have this idea of what it is. But that's not always the case. But in this case, this city's reputation was one for horrible amounts of immorality. They had ritualistic prostitution of the ladies to worship their gods. You would go to their temples and you could honor their gods by buying a prostitute. In fact, this is what some of the people would say here when it would, when it would walk into it. They would say Jerusalem is about religion and Rome is about power. Alexandria was about intellect and Athens about philosophy Antioch was about all types of immorality. When the gospel came to Cornelius, he became a follower of Jesus, and it became a man who was a God-fearer. And when it came to the respect of Israel, he lived a great moral life. But now the gospel is going to the exact opposite, to the, to the dirtiest, to the worst, to the, to the people who are lost from God. I love it. He picks the person that is... On the edge of Judaism, Cornelius, he's a righteous, a God-fearing man. Yes, of course he should get in. But these people, God, these are the ones you want to, 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 to minister to. We, we, there was the, the worst part of, of the city. If you, who's got, cell, you got a cell phone? Can you pull, hold your cell phone out for just a second? Hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. Great, great, great. Keep it out with you. Antioch was a very very dark place. Can you guys help me out please? It was a place that was full of darkness. It was a place that had no sense of God. It was completely lost. Can I tell you guys the world is pretty dark these days. And you know what's the crazy thing about darkness? Is that darkness likes To be something around all the time. I know those who are watching us online, your screen went black. It was on purpose. Just stay with me. The Bible tells us that Jesus in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a great story. The Bible tells us also that Jesus was the light of the world and the entire world thought if we could take out his light, there would be no more Jesus. But Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and he then puts his spirit inside of all people. And since that time, the world has done its absolute best to maintain its darkness. But what's crazy about darkness is this, is that with one bit of light, darkness flees. It doesn't get darker. And what we've been talking about over the past few weeks is this, is turning this light of Jesus onto your world. You see, without my light, it gets dark. But with my light, I'm able to have a lot more peace, a lot more joy, a lot more ability to have a connection with God. And light is contagious. See, like my light, I begin to minister to, to my wife Jessica, and then her light comes on. And now we have... a extra bit of light. And then when Jessica and I are ministering the gospel, maybe it'll inspire my mom. My mom might get hers and and have the ability to turn her light on. And what happens is, is that you have this multiplication of lights that begin to pop on. And this is what's great. When people start turning on the gospel, and you start ministering the gospel, more and more and more people get excited. That's why we tell people about the gospel, and that's why we talk to you about us sharing the gospel, because when I share, it's a contagious experience, because when I tell you that I was at Walmart, and I led somebody to the Lord, maybe you'll get on fire and turn your light on to minister to somebody else, and what eventually happens is that the more the lights come on, the less the darkness is ever prevalent. And what we have to have today in our churches, in our world, is more and more of us being willing to be a light in a dark place. This is exactly what's happening in our world right now. The more that we begin to turn lights on, the more that we begin to share the gospel, the more that we begin to to, to, to show people the love of Jesus the more it illuminates not only the world, but other believers to do the exact same thing. But here's the greatest part. You always have a choice. The Bible talks about us hiding our light, hiding it under a bushel, hiding it all so that the world doesn't see it because that's exactly what we have been conditioned to do. I will be a light, but I'll hide it so only I can see the light. I'll be a light, but it's just for my family, so I'll I'll, I'll, I'll control the brightness of my light. But God doesn't want you to control the brightness. He wants you to be the light, to be the one that illuminates. Just a minute ago, it was dark, and now, whether you were scared of the dark or not, you can see just fine. You could walk around. You could be able to do whatever. There's the door. There's the exits. There's the stage. We can see it all. Thank you, guys. Help me out. But what ends up happening is this, is that we have to have this moment of a willing disciple to turn our lights on. Does anybody love to sleep with the lights on? You do, really? That's sad. Deliverance. My wife... um, can sleep at noon in a car we will get in a car and she has like does anybody else's spouse have like vehicular narcolepsy um and we get into a car and she's just like hey babe, how was your day and she gone it's just out it's impressive I like to sleep in the in in darkness anybody else like you want it dark can I tell you what's crazy about that is the reason why the world likes it dark is because it's in the darkness that the Christians will be lulled to sleep. And if you're not going to keep your lights on, you're going to perpetually be lulled to sleep and be relaxed and just be okay. Let the, just sleep. Let it all happen the way it's going. k it'll be what it will be. You, you just, just, just go back to sleep. What we're trying to do here in Millbrook is to awaken you from the slumber that has been happening in our area for almost three decades. To awaken this desire to be a light, to be the love, to be the example of Jesus on this earth. In verse 22, it tells us this: "Then the news of these things came to the Church of Jerusalem, and they, they sent out Barab, uh, Barnabas, not Barabbas, Barnabas, to go as far as Antioch. And when he had came, he had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them, with all that purpose of heart, that they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added. They sent out um, Barnabas. remember, uh, Barnabas was a servant of the church. From the beginning, Barnabas is the same guy that stood up for the guy named Saul and told him, hey, I will take Saul in. He will be under me. I will be his mentor. We will do all these things. Then in, in Acts chapter uh, 9, they had to send Saul away to Tarsus. And he was there for 15 years learning his craft And it was in this time that they sent Barnabas in that 15 year period to go to Antioch to see what's going on. Is this a God thing? Is it just hype? Is it sustainable? What's going on? Barnabas, you know how we do things in Jerusalem. Go check it out. See what's going on. And it says that when he had saw the grace of God, he was glad. Can I tell you what the grace of God is here? It's not just signs, wonders, and miracles. What this whole idea is this is that people are living in a community where they love each other, where they speak truth in love, and they're doing everything that they can to minister the gospel to those who are lost. There's a grace for this. Can I tell you, you have a grace to minister the gospel. There is a divine enablement that God has placed inside of you to draw people to Jesus. How do I know people? No, Pete, Pete, no one ever comes up to me and goes, Hey, I'm John. Can you leave me to Jesus? You know, that's true. But what they do a lot of times, Hey, how you doing? My day's garbage. Really? And you have a choice. That stinks. Well, have a good one. My day stinks. Why, what's going on? My kids are crazy. Yeah, mine too. Ha, ha, ha. And we move on. You know what I've realized over the past few months of doing this? Is how open and vulnerable people actually are today it's true. It's true. like it used to be all of this we're always happy we're always great and it seems like nowadays people are the worst <laughs> figuratively and metaphorically and like it, it, it is like they are just like here's all my you you can't meet a stranger and they don't tell you their sob story these days can i tell you what that is the field to ripe for harvest Because the answer is easy to be Jesus. Your kids are crazy. Oh, you know what? There's a guy who can guide us into the light. You're dealing with health issues. Let me tell you about the great physician. You're stressed out. I've been stressed out. Now I have comfort and peace in Jesus Christ. I'm still learning. I'm still walking. I'm not perfect. But Jesus has helped me here. You know what's also great? Is that the field is so ripe for harvest that people are starving now. You know what they're starving for? Authenticity. The idea of them just showing up to a church nowadays because they drove by and it's a Sunday and they're supposed to go to church is out the window. But when they can meet a real Christian, oh, you actually believe this? Oh, you actually live this? Yeah, I'm a Christian too. Yeah, yeah, I went to church a few Easter's ago. God's cool. He's my homeboy. Yeah, is he? Yeah. Yeah. We have the enablement to preach the word you don't have to know it front to back you don't have to live perfect lives you don't have to have everything together all you need to know is your story it's your story You preach the gospel of your story. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was stressed, but now I have peace. I was sick, but now I am healed. I was broke, but now I'm prospering. Whatever the ailment is, it is in here, I promise you. I was lonely, but now I have a comforter. I dealt with depression, and now I've been healed. Whatever it may be, I promise your story is there. And here's what's great. God is the divine orchestra uh, or, or orchestrator of everything in life. And you know what's crazy is that typically he puts people in my path that are having experience that I used to have. You ever noticed that you struggled with anxiety and it seems like everyone around you is dealing with anxiety. Bing light bulb. Like I was never a drug addict. Some of you guys were. Some of you guys have dealt severely with alcoholism and and drug addiction and we love you and I'm so happy of your story. I I never dealt with that. So the idea that drug addicts come to me and alcoholics come to me on a regular basis isn't really really there. But maybe you did. Maybe you struggled with that and now God is aligning you with people who were in the same situation that you used to be in. Maybe you dealt with severe depression and you're hearing people all the time talk about how sad life is and how dark it is. That's what the answer is. Jesus has given you your story. Just tell your story. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was where you are, but God. I was broke, busted, and disgusted, but now God. And I love this. Barnabas shows up, and he sees that they have the grace to do all of these things. And it says, and he was full of joy. Can I tell you? When other people watch you minister, they get full of joy. When they hear your story of how you shared the gospel to your spouse, to your kids, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your strangers, to your in-laws and to your outlaws, they love to hear that God is still doing something in your life. So you encourage them and you encourage me. We need your stories. Then he does this. He encourages them. All that with purpose of heart, that they should continue with the Lord. And great many people were added to the Lord. So right now, what that means is Barnabas shifts. He shifts from being somebody who was just observing to now a leadership role. He was sent from Jerusalem and now they're looking at him going, what do we do with all these people? Can you imagine one day? Like you, uh, uh, you led somebody to the Lord and they brought their friends and you led them to the Lord. That was really cool. And then all of a sudden, a hundred people show up to your house. You're going to be like, what do I do? How, How do I handle all of this? We're talking about thousands of people going from a couple of dozen to thousands of believers in a matter of months. And Barnabas shows up and they're going, this is great, but we have no organization at all. We don't know what we're doing with all these people. And so now Barnabas goes, well, let me show you how to do this thing. And what he does is he opens up the same template that we still have today. And this is in Ephesians chapter four. And it says this in verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Everybody has a role. And what he's saying is, there are specific people that have an apostolic gift, that have a pastoral gift, that have a teaching gift, that they have, they have a prophetic gift. Some are evangelists, and some are teachers, and they have all of these. But why, why did you give us all these, God? Verse 12, it says, it's for the edifying, uh, for, the, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who are the head of the Christ for whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies according to the effective work by which every part does its share. Here we go. Causing the growth of the body for the edifying of itself. This is what Barnabas begins to look at. He goes, you've got passion, you've got people, you've got intensity, but now let's put some organization around what we're doing. He begins to recognize that we have some gaps. He begins to look and go, okay, well, we've got this gift and we've got that gift, but we don't have this gift. We have this and we have that, but we don't have this. And he begins to assemble together the proper ingredients to organize. See, people are so turned off about organized religion. But can I tell you, when have you ever seen a disorganized body? Like an arm over there, a leg over there, a foot over there. No, we as a body are supposed to be joined together together. The idea is that your gift spurs on my gift, and my gift spurs on your gift. And together, we connect into something beautiful, and we go out into the world, and we don't get tossed. That's what happens. We get into the world, and we're like, well, what about this, and what about that? I don't know. I don't have the answer. And then we get confused. And what he's doing is going, when we are together in unity as one body with all the gifts that are supplied, there's not going to be confusion. There's not going to be stress. We may have problems, but we can all figure it out together. And with all of that love and connectivity comes growth, both internally and externally. Because when the world sees that we as believers are linking arms and doing something good in the world, it's enticing to be a part of something like that. It's the growth of the body. But he sees all of this, and he goes, "Something's missing." And it says in verse 25, "Then Barnabas departs for Tarsus to seek Saul." That word "seek" is to look for intently. I don't know where he's at specifically. He's in this area, but I have to find Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, so that it was there for a whole year that Paul, sorry, Barnabas and Saul. Assembled with the church and taught many people. And it was here that they became called Christians. This is where our word comes from. I'm a Christian right here. It has a cool meaning. It is Christ followers. It it has some cool connotations to it. But the idea here is in Acts chapter 1 that you have been called a disciple in Acts chapter 9, they've been called saints. In Acts chapter 5, they were called believers. Again, in Acts chapter 6, they were called brothers. In Acts chapter 5, they were called witnesses. And now in Acts chapter 9, they were called the way. And here we are in Acts chapter 11. All of these titles have morphed into this, you are a Christian. And the Latin, that, that I-A-N is a party of. I am in the party of Jesus. Now, you've got to realize this, is that Antioch is notorious for mocking people. Sure, the field, is hard, the, the ripe was, the, the field was ripe for harvest, but they also would make fun of people. You are a Christian was a, a, a making fun of somebody. You're one of those people. And it's funny because their assault and their meanness has become an identity for us today in a very positive way. I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. As soldiers, under particular generals of the Roman army, they would call themselves that leader... So if you followed Caesar, you were a Caesarean. If you would follow uh, Paul, you were a Paulinean. You, you'd have these ideas of that is my identification because I follow this person. And now that they are called Christians, it is an identification marker to go, they are a follower of the one Christ. They follow him. It's not just a way, what's the way? They follow Christ. I'm not just a believer. There's plenty of believers. I follow Christ. Uh, they're not just a witness. A witness of what? A murder? No. They follow Christ. This is where all of our identity has now honed into this one tightness. There is a man, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. I follow him. It takes away all the other options. That I'm a witness of what? That I'm a believer of what? That I'm a follower of what? That I am a brother of what? No. I Am a person following Jesus. I don't follow an idea. I don't follow a church. I don't follow a specific minister. I follow Jesus. Hear me out. You don't follow me. You don't follow New Life. You don't follow. Uh, the the church in Millbrook. You follow the head who is Jesus the Christ. You are a Christian, a follower of this one. It's not just a tagline that we use, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. It is a very specific title that is given to those who have given up their life for the one. I've given up everything to follow this one just like a soldier would give up everything to follow their general, I've given up my life to follow this Jesus. As a Christian, it's not just a joke. It's not just a tagline. It's not just an, an idea. It is a very specific title that we adopt and we own. No longer am I Peter. I am a Christian. No longer am I a father. I am a Christian. No longer am I a son. I am a Christian. I Follow Christ before anything else. All other titles, husband, father, son, pastor, fall beneath the title of Christian. It says, in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and showed showed by the spirit that there was gonna be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren in Judea. And in, in Judea, they also did the same by sending elders, sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. I, I love this idea. There was a prophetic vision that was given out. What is a prophetic vision? It is a foretelling of what's about to happen. A prophetic thing is nothing to be scared of. It's Jesus telling you, don't be alarmed. I know what's coming. I'm telling you now. And so when we read things um, in eschatology or the study of the end times, when we read the book of Revelation, or you read about Daniel, or you read in Isaiah, and you see the end times, it's scary. It's spooky. It's all those things, right? No. You know what it does? It should encourage all believers that if God knows the end, he knows where I'm at today. If he knows how it's going to wrap itself up then he's given to me today, then there's peace. No, it's all under control. And the storms may rage and the wars may go out and the famines may break out. But if God told me that I have the ability to be prepared for everything that's about to take place, he's in control. Famine's not a powerful, fun prophecy. If I was to stand up here and say, there's going to be unemployment at 30% in 2025. No one's cheering. But if I said, everybody's getting a raise in 2025, everybody's cheering. But you know what's great? If I told you that there was going to be unemployment or a famine or an issue two years from now, three years from now, you have a choice. Do we begin to prepare ourselves because God's preparing us? Or do we just go, nah, whatever, crazy person? And then we live it out. See, God loves the church enough to still speak today. But one of the biggest things that we have let go of in churches today is the prophetic word. We've let it go because we don't like it. It's something that we can't control. We found ourselves in organizing our bodies and our and our believers to a place where now it's managing, not expanding. We want to get our people together, and we go, okay, we have this much people. We have this much for a budget. Let's not make anybody angry or uncomfortable, and let's just all huddle around each other and figure it out. But the gifts of the Spirit that are listed and relevant, and we'll walk through that in another, another chapter, can I tell you, it's uneven, uneasy sometimes. Sometimes prophetic words aren't fun. Sometimes truth in love isn't fun. Sometimes hearing somebody uh, break out in tongues is not fun. Sometimes seeing somebody slain in the spirit or whatever maybe is not fun. It's confusing the mind. But can I tell you, I promise you with this, at this place we want the gifts of the spirit to be used and seen, and there's also going to be indecency and order attached to that. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to freak out. We don't shut everything down because we're afraid of a bad experience that we heard somebody else have. We don't close everything down because when I was in high school, I watched a woman cluck like a chicken and say it was God. That freaked me out. That's a true story. I think Elaine was there, Jessica was there. It was creepy. I'm like, why is she clucking like a chicken? I mean, just, I mean, all of it right there. And I'm like, no, I'm out. But can I tell you what happens today is that we are now living in a church that we can control. We don't have a church anymore that's being led by the spirit. It's being led by a man in a suit. We, we don't have this idea of seeking the unthinkable and the intangible things that God can do We want to know what our songs are uh, six months in advance and all of our points six months in advance. And and can we craft this phrase in the right way to make sure that everybody's happy? And and can I tell you, there's some beautiful things in crafting your sermons. There's a beautiful thing in, in making sure that it's applicable to all people that you can reach. But at the same time, we can't plan out the Holy Spirit. We can't live a life that's so structured that we don't have room for the Holy Spirit in any way, shape, or form. But can I tell you where the Holy Spirit should be the most dominant? The absolute dominant? Not on Sunday mornings. In your homes. In your small groups. When you as a believer on a Thursday are gathering together and worshiping and you're connecting with God and that's when the Holy Spirit, you want to look at when the Holy Spirit fell? Almost every single time it was in somebody's home. It wasn't in the mass gatherings, which it can happen. and We welcome it. But before it ever happens on a Sunday and people are just like a boom and a bomb explodes, it should be happening at homes. It should be happening with my families. It should be happening with my friends. What was that? I don't know. But it was cool. Let's bring it to church. See, that's the thing. Church has become a bunch of takers and not bringers. We're not talking about money. Don't, Don't clinch up. Not talking about money. I'd much rather you bring the Spirit of God with you when you came in and dropped the bomb than a disgruntled $10 bill. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, He'll bring it in. But can I tell you, we have a part to play. Just like everybody who brought their phones in and turned their lights on, you had a choice. I didn't tell you to do it. I told two people to do it. But you have a choice to play in this matter. Are you going to be somebody who is seeking the move of God off campus, or are you expecting the front row to carry everything? We have to be bringers of his presence, bringers of the gifts. You are a gift. Bring it in, and let's see what God's going to do. That's the whole point. Don't be scared because God is a God of order, He is. Have you ever seen just something out of nothing ever happen? No. Everything has a design. God designed everything. He's got it under control. The planets spin. The stars stay. We do everything the exact same way with laws because God is a God of order. But he's also a God that does what he wants, when he wants. So you've got to have both. You've got to connect those two and that's what they did here in Acts chapter 11 is they began to flow with the gifts and they began to flow with the presence of God and they went out into the streets and demonstrated and they would bring people in to have proper alignment. Sunday morning is supposed to be the spiritual chiropractor of your week. Something gets misaligned, we talk about it and we pop it back into place so that on Mondays you can go back out into the world again. Every Sunday is supposed to be this readjustment and, re-correct, and correcting, if we will, in love. We pop things back into place, good game, go back out there. And on Tuesday, you go out back, you're, you're out there again. That's the point. Sundays are not meant to be a bless me club. They're meant to be truth in love and encouraging you to do what you're called to do. What are you called to do? You're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Every single one of you. This week, you have a choice. Are you going to turn your light on? And can I tell you, it's holiday season, and it's really easy to hide that sucker in your pocket. When somebody cuts you off in front of at Walmart and you want to cut somebody, I'm the only person. Great. Not too, man, let me tell y'all something. I'm standing in line. that self-checkout. And I'm standing there. There is a lady behind me, and I lean over to get a Reese's cup. I know I shouldn't, but... I wanted it, and I went like this, and when I turned around, she walked right around me and got in front. I, you were there. I, I was standing there like, oh yeah, nah. I went, hey, and she goes, I guess you weren't ready. Listen, you can try Jesus, but don't try me, I got those hands. Let me tell you something. I had that Reese's cup, and I went, oh, Ah. and she will just with her arrogance I'm like God loves this woman with all of his heart and I want to beat her with my Reese cup in the back of her head and then just step over her so I didn't I maintained my peace there were things in my mouth and in my head that I wanted to come out which is hard for me to refrain. And I'm like, show love. Show love. And I let her do her thing. She got her, uh, her thing. I went to mine. It probably cost me two minutes, max. And I go and check out, and I turn and look. And her little red light kicked on because her machine crashed. I said, God is good. And I can't walk in. <laughs> but let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. We live in a time right now that is trying. The enemy wants to push your buttons. And there's going to be moments where you're going to react negatively to your kids, to your spouse, to your family, to your coworkers. And then the thought's going to come into your mind that now you are DQ'd. And that's so far from the truth. God has qualified you. Let no man, including yourself, disqualify you. Because what God, remember Acts chapter 10, what God has now called holy, let no man call common. And according to 1 Peter, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are set apart for this season. So go into the world this week. Show them the love. Minister the gospel with your story. And turn your light on in a very dark area. Amen? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this moment. We ask that you continue to illuminate our eyes. Give us courage. Give us boldness to do the unthinkable, which is be the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.